And again, I want to welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Today's study will be study number 63 in our Angels and Giants Fact or Fiction series. And the date stamp for the recording today is 10-16-22. And incidentally, if you've been looking on the website for recordings, we are, we, I say we, me, are several behind. Chip normally gets them uploaded pretty much as fast as I get them to him, but I have many of them that he doesn't have, so I need to get another thing on my uh, long list of things that I'm behind on. <laughs> I gotta get, I gotta get caught back up. Uh, so don't give up on us. We will eventually have that, uh, have the website back up to date with all the latest studies. Uh, as we always say, our purpose in this entire series is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in scripture and by doing so, try to alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture verses seem to generate. And today's study I don't think is, is any different from that, um, from that goal. Uh, last week, we finished up our, our look into Revelation chapter 12 uh, regarding the dragon and the tribulation and its cause. You remember we mentioned that uh, that Satan and his minions, or some of his minions currently, uh, wage a war in the heavens. I believe that war that we read about in Daniel chapter 10 is still going on. I believe that it still exists and that Satan's uh, forces, so to say, are sort of split. Some of them are in the heavens fighting Michael and his angels, and some of them are here on the earth uh, fighting us and um, giving us grief. And I believe that. I believe that uh, our um, our battle, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, is not against flesh and blood. The flesh and blood sometimes can be the the physical outworking of that battle. But the battle itself, the war itself, the contention and strife itself is between us and forces that we can't even lay our eyes on. It's an angelic realm that uses the fiery darts, these javelins, um, to try to rob us of our sal- the joy of our salvation. They can't take away our salvation. They can't in any way take away our hope because that was promised and given by a power, power far greater than they are. But they can certainly make, you know, they're, they're going to do what they can to make life difficult. And they are still around. Make no, make no mistake of that. So that's kind of what we, uh, we're looking at in Revelation 12. In addition to the fact that once Satan's realm collapses, shrinks down, and he then is cast to the earth, and he no longer can go into the heavens like he does uh, to expand the, the territory or what have you, uh, then it's woe be unto the inhabitants of the earth, as the scripture says. So that's Satan being here literally in his, with his physical presence. And he is not omniscient, trust me. He is not omnipotent, he is not omniscient, omniscient, and he is not omnipresent. Satan can only be in one location at a time. He does not know and see everything. He is limited in his, in his scope, although he is a very powerful creature. I still believe that. But he is not God, and he does not have the attributes of God. But 
Let me tell you something. He wants to be God. He made that very clear in uh, Isaiah chapter 14. When, when he declares the, the, the reasons that he did what he did that resulted in his original casting out of heaven, where in Luke 10, I believe it is, the Lord says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He was cast out of the third heaven where God is into the second heaven, I believe, at that time. So that's a little recap on that. But for today's study, uh, let's move on to Revelation 13. Uh, and in our study of angels and giants, we're going to see some more beings here today that I don't even really know how to describe other than the description that's in the um, that's in the scripture about them. Very interesting things going on here in uh, in Revelation 13, and I, I felt it really difficult to I felt it really difficult to skip over this uh, because I think it's something we got to deal with. It's something we got to understand. And it's like I said earlier, although Satan is not God, and he doesn't have the attributes that God the Father has, he wants those attributes. And there are some things happening here in Revelation chapter 13, uh, notably with the setting up, listen to this, of the unholy trinity. Now did you, have you ever thought that in addition to the holy trinity, that's mentioned in the scriptures, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Revelation 13 speaks of an unholy trinity and that the parallels, the counterfeit that Satan puts down is astounding, absolutely astounding. And as we go through this, I believe... It'll become apparent to you, and you can agree or disagree that that's kind of what's going on here. Exactly, it's Trinity of Hell, <laughs> uh, Dorothea. Very well put. Uh, whether you've ever seen this or not, I don't know. Uh, whether you agree or disagree is, is you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, we can certainly talk about it. But I'm going to present what I see, and that's all I can do with the leadership of the Spirit is just tell you what I see. And, and if you don't see it, that's fine. Uh, if you see more than I see, I'd love to hear from you. Because what we're doing, and never forget this, all we're really doing is searching for the truth. If I've got untruth, I need to get rid of that as quickly as possible. And if you have truth, I would love to have it and add it to my list of truth. But we all have to study to show ourselves approved as workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing this word of truth. And that's... That's the important part. So turn with me this morning uh, as we begin. Let's move on to Revelation 13. and Let's take a look at this unholy trinity uh, here in these verses. And, and I want you to remember that these beings that we're going to be discussing, and that's the reason I included this in the Angels and Giants review here, these beings are all either angelic in nature or made or created by Lucifer. You say, well, what in the, what do you mean created by Lucifer? Listen, I believe that a lot of the mythology that exists in our antiquity, our history of um, 
animals that were half animal, half human. I believe there was a lot of experimentation going on in those sinful days when uh, before the flood. And I believe that these stories of these creatures and all these things that they actually worshipped that, that you have stone remnants of in Egypt, I believe all those very possibly existed at one point. And listen, Satan can take matter that already exists and tamper with it. I believe he has the knowledge, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Remember what God had to say about him. I believe he has the knowledge and the ability to take created matter and twist it into whatever he needs it to be to come through with his purpose. Because his purpose is to replace God the Father, to replace God the Son, and not only that, but to replace God the Holy Spirit. And I believe as we go through Revelation 13 this morning, hopefully that'll you'll see what I see, and then you can ponder it for yourself, and we'll go from there and see if you agree or disagree. Genesis 6 shows you the... Uh blueprint for that because yeah. of the hybrids. Exactly. Okay, man has done the same thing with hybrids. Yep. Man has. Yep. Uh, because there's lots of things, you know, like the making of a mule and all this. And half the, half the food we eat nowadays is some kind of genetic hybrid. I mean, yeah, if you think so about it. it it's, uh, it wasn't of its original form. And if if man alone has the ability to do some of the amazing things that they do with genetics, mm-hmm. think of what Satan has the ability to do. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Because he is not a dummy. If you think Satan is a dummy, you are wrong. He is he is cunning and he is very intelligent. He is the epitome of Secular intelligence. There is no pinnacle of secular intelligence higher, I believe, than Satan himself. He wants to be God Almighty. And if you can't see that in Revelation 13, then hopefully this will help. So let's read Revelation 13, uh, 1. This is John. Remember, our, our guy on the ground, John, is feeding back information from this vision that he's having here in the third heaven. He says, And I stood, verse 1, upon the sand of the sea. Now, sand is associated with sea, so in my mind this is a the literal ocean. He's on the beach, or he's standing next to the sea, where he can behold what's going on. And the fact that it mentions the sand along with it, to me, tells me that it's not so much symbolic, but actually literal. So he stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast coming up. Not rising up, but coming up. Coming up probably out of the water. Yeah, it says the beast is coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names, plural, per the notes in the companion Bible the names of blasphemy each of those seven heads has its own name and it's the names of blasphemy and you'll see why as we go further into Revelation 13 here you'll see why these are names of blasphemy 
uh, as we move through this. We've already talked about it, I think, a little bit because when, when Jesus was casting out these names to this guy by the seashore, oh, yeah. uh, he, he, and he told his, his own people, you got to know their name yeah. in order to deal with the demons. demons. Yep. Yeah. That's a good point. Now, this word beast here in verse 1 is the Greek word therion. And it literally means a wild beast, as Tony has posted there. And Tony, incidentally, thank you for posting in the room, my brother, and all that you do. Therion means a wild beast or a dangerous animal. So this is obviously, unless somebody can tell me where on the earth right now, there is in existence a beast that has seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. Unless somebody knows where this creature is right now, I have to assume that this is something that's going to be concocted by the demon, the prince of demons, by Lucifer himself. Something that he has come up with and put together. I know of no beast or wild animal that fits this description and has the intelligence that this thing is going to have. So let's read on. That's the Greek word therion. This beast, listen, I believe this beast is the antitype of none other than the Lord Christ Jesus himself. Satan, the great dragon, as is depicted here in Revelation 12 and 13, Satan is called the dragon. And as we will see as we go down through this, the beast comes and is controlled by the dragon. And they worship not only the beast, but the great dragon as well. Now look, look at the parallels between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit between the great dragon as God, the beast as the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second beast as the Holy Spirit as we go through this. Hopefully you can see that. Um, oh, this is, this is the absolute antitype of what... This is how Satan wants it to be. And this will actually come about as part of God's plan before they're ultimately destroyed. Because remember, God requires God's balance. He always has. He always will. We've talked about this multiple times down through this study already. But what I want you to note here and look at exactly, Doherty, it's counterfeit. Are the the counterfeit uh, uh, parallels, the counterfeit attributes, that we're going to see between Satan as God, the beast as Christ, and the second beast as the Holy Spirit. So let's read on. Um, Also note that we're going to see that this beast gets his power from the dragon. Well, there's a big, there's a big surprise. Because... Where did Christ say he got his power from? I do only the will of the Father, and only the will of the Father do I do. Are you beginning to see what I'm talking about now? So this beast derives his power 
from the dragon who is the antitype of God the Father. Satan is not going to create a being who is going to be the top dog. He is going to be the top dog. He wants to be all in charge. So let's read on. And the beast, John says, and the beast, verse 2, which I saw, was like unto a leopard. He gives us a little bit of description about this beast. He was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. You see that? Who was it that Christ said empowered him? I do only the will of my Father, and only the will of my Father do I do. So here the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Who in the end is it that will have the great authority in God's trinity? It will be the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything will be put under the feet of Christ except God the Father, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Everything. Amen. Thank God that the power of God is greater than the power of this beast and the power of Satan. Because that, that's what we're up against, y'all. Think about it. So the dragon gave him his power and his seat, his throne, literally, and his authority. So when this creature comes out of the sea, he's going to have great power. And the power is going to come from Satan himself, and he is going to have authority. Exousia, I believe, is the, the word there. John goes on to verse 3. Listen to this. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. So evidently in the beginning there's a fight put up. One of the seven heads are wounded and it dies. Guess what? And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Remember what happened to the type that he too was crucified? Put in the tomb? You see the parallel? So here this one of these heads on this beast is killed. Deadly wound it says. But the wound was healed and it come back to life. And the whole world is amazed by this. That this thing can just regenerate itself. You ever wondered about that? You ever thought about it? Have you ever put the parallels together between the beast and the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe we're, we're seeing the unholy trinity played out here right before our very eyes. So all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped, listen to this, they, the world, worshipped, verse 4, the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Does not all the world today worship not only God the Father, but God the Son? They do. So another parallel. The world at that time is basically forced to worship not only the dragon, and that's what he wants. Satan's business is religion. It always has been. It always will be. 
And so the world worships the dragon and the beast, and they say, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who can beat this thing? Because evidently if you kill it, it will regenerate itself. You can't take it out. Now I don't know how the, the deadly wound happens to the head of the beast. It doesn't. The scripture doesn't elaborate on that, but I know that it happens. And the spectacle of this head coming back to life is very convincing to those on the earth that are left. Look at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Do you remember Christ in the, with, the, with the multitudes? He had the great mouth on the on the holy side of things. Here, the beast has a great mouth and he speaks great blasphemies. Everything that Christ did, this being does in opposition. He speaks great blasphemies, great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. There's the three and a half years. So that should line up with some other prophecies that are listed out in the Revelation. And, and again, this is not a study about Revelation. This is about these creatures, angels and spirit beings and all these things. But man, Revelation is a target-rich environment for a study like this. If you want to do a study on, on angels and all kind of beings, here's the place to go. As you can see, not only the things that God has put in place, but things that Satan has made based on what God already had created. What Satan has perverted and changed to suit his needs and to try to meet his ends. But we know in our heart of hearts that it's all for naught. We know according to the word of God that everything that he does is a waste of effort. But the problem is, he doesn't believe that. And he pushes, and he pushes, and he deceives, and he accuses, and he kills, and he does all these things. He does all these things. I don't know, Dorothea. I think the beast is a literal beast, because John watches it rise up out of the sea, and he says he's standing on the beach of the sea, which is pretty literal to me. So I don't know. Uh, and the description of this beast is pretty, pretty strange. It's pretty unholy. Maybe it is, uh, maybe it is symbolic. I'll leave that up to you, uh, Bible scholars to decide that for yourself. I'll, what I know though is that I see an unholy trinity. And just as Christ was a physical person that you could touch, I believe this beast myself personally, I believe this beast to be something that you can physically touch or see. Well, I think the sands of the sea, my particular aspect of this thing, just involved in this study this morning itself, is because of Israel was looked at or looked upon as the sands of the sea. And so, therefore, they didn't do what God asked them to do. And so here Satan has a uh, 
Absolutely. And it could be symbolic. And I have seen many writings that try to assign different uh, aspects of the world as we know it right now to these different heads. And, you know, they get into what they think the crowns are and all these things. Uh, yeah, you can, you can check this out for yourself. I'm, I'm not sitting here. No, but that was. Yeah, exactly. And, I, I and I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, the, the view that I'm giving you is the only view of it because it certainly, it certainly could be something symbolic. It just seems to me that there's a lot of description here. Um, and making the parallels with the Trinity that he's making, it almost seems like it would not be um, something spread, like it would be a, a creature. It would be a central creature that people could, oh, point at it, and, and God can look at it and be amazed by it. So, some things to think about there. I think a lot of it's got to do with uh, attacking the younger generation, too. There, you know, there's men claiming to be women and women claiming to be men, and they're pushing it into our schools. Oh, it's the, yeah, Second Timothy 3 getting in full process right now. I agree with that. So it says in verse 5, There was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. That again is parallel to Christ. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth, verse 6, in blasphemy. Evidently, every time this beast opens his mouth, it's in blasphemy. Yea, hath God said, against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. You see that? So he blasphemes the name of God the Father, the tabernacle of God the Father, which is where? That's in the third heaven, where the four, the four creatures are around the throne, the tabernacle, and then the 24 elders are outside even of that. So, why do you think Satan is sore at him? Well, this is the place that he was originally cast out of. Makes perfect sense to me. When he gets this, when he comes to the point of having this power, and he may be working on this thing right now, I don't know. But I believe when he gets to the point of having this power, that when he makes his stand, he blasphemes God the Father who cast him out. He blasphemes the tabernacle of God the Father that cast him out. And he blasphemes them that dwell in the in heaven. Those that were there that stayed that he didn't drag out. He is not happy. He's a little bit sore about what happened there in the beginning when iniquity was found within him. He's a little bit mad about that. Can you see Satan holding a grudge? Holy cow. Well, yeah, he helps us hold grudges. Yeah. Well... He would like them all, too. Oh, yeah. And the ones that didn't come over, he cusses them. He cusses God, he cusses the tabernacle, and he cusses those that stayed. Yeah. He blasphemes against them. Interesting. Let's read on. Verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Huh? And to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Yes. 
God allows this. Does that seem strange to you? This is no more strange than God loosing Satan out of the abusos for a little season after the thousand years that he's in there. Remember the balance. This fits right along in the outline with other events in history. That's why it says it was given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. The kindreds, tongues and nations I believe are on the earth. So were the saints. Verse 8. And all that dwell, see here, upon the earth, all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written. Listen to this. There's two classes. Either your name is written in that book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. For those whose names are written in that book of life, they did not worship him. For all the others, they did. They were forced to. That's interesting. And then John says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. Listen to what I'm telling you. He said, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Verse 11 is extremely interesting. Very interesting. Let's read it. John goes on, he says, And I beheld another beast. Not just the first beast, but another beast. So now we have two beasts. What does this second beast do, and what is his relation to the other two beasts? Well, this is real interesting. Because this third beast, or second beast, I'm sorry, got the dragon, the first beast, the second beast. The second beast seems to parallel the Holy Spirit of God. Let's read and see why. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Huh. So one comes up out of the sea, the other comes up out of the earth. Must be buried somewhere. Possibly. It's coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. He spoke. He had two horns and he spoke. Now here again. I don't know what's symbolic or what's literal. Well, let's look at some attributes. Look at verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. What does the Holy Spirit point to in the economy we live in today? The Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit does not speak of itself. The Spirit speaks of the Son. 
The Spirit always points back to the Son. The Spirit wants the Son to get the attention and the worship. Not itself. So what does this beast do? He exercises all the power that the first beast before him, or the power of the first beast before him. Where did the apostles in the Acts period get their power? When the Spirit came and indwelt them, they were able to do great things. Great miracles, signs, miracles, wonders. They could speak with tongues, other tongues, not their native languages, not some unknown tongue. That's uh, a bad translation in the King James. They spoke with other tongues. That would be like me right now just changing and speaking very fluent Chinese, which I still cannot do as many times as I've been. I mean, just immediately with no lessons, no nothing. They could take up deadly serpents and be bit. Nothing would hurt them. They could drink poison. Nothing would hurt them. They could heal the sick from whatever it was instantaneously. They could cast out demons out of people. We see lots of witness of that in the Acts period. And guess what? They could literally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raise the dead. They could make the lame to walk. They can make the blind to see. They can make the leprosy go away. All these things that the Holy Spirit could do, now it's got a counterfeit. Let's read it again. See if you see the parallel. And he exercises all the power. He is empowered of Satan just like the Holy Spirit of God was empowered of the Father. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. The Spirit is what draws a man today. The Holy Spirit draws a man to the Lord to be saved. But it does it with love. It does it with subtlety. It does it with peace. Not this beast. When this beast forces you to worship the higher power, it's a little different situation. So it says, He causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So I bet you the force on this beast is working in a completely different manner than the Holy Spirit of God works in the hearts of men. I bet this is a do it or die. Yep. It's going to be an anti-type of that. Instead of peace and quietness and conviction, it's force and death. You either do it or you die. You do what I say or you die. I bet that's the, the way it goes. Just as a, just as a betting man here. Verse 13 says, and he doeth great wonders. Ah! Did the Holy Spirit of God do great wonders? It did through the agencies of men. And the Spirit did great things even before then. In the Old Testament days, fire would come down from heaven and devour an, uh, devour an offering. Yeah. Did great wonders. Miracles. Miracles, signs, 
Show me a miracle. Yep. Let, you show me and I'll believe. Well, we're back to that. He doeth, verse 13, great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven just like the Spirit did. On earth, in the sight of men, so they'll believe it. Amazing. Let's read on. And deceiveth them, verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. See, God literally convicted and convinced and saved by His miracles. This one deceives by the miracles that He does. This spirit. This beast. <coughs> he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Oh, you should, you should make an image to this beast that has basically resurrected itself. Yeah. Let's worship this thing. Golden image. Let's do something. Oh yeah. Gotta have false gods. Listen to this. Verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So if they made an image this second beast could give life to the image of the beast. Almost as if it would speak for the beast itself. This is this is really strange stuff, folks. I don't know if you've ever really read this and really took in what it's saying, but it's enough to get your attention. Verse 15, He had the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this image of the beast, if you don't fall down and worship, worship. it's going to know that you're not worshiping, and you will be killed. Worship or die. Yep, it's like I said. You, com you comply or you die. You have a choice. Actually, you don't have much of a choice. Worship or die, and if you die, there is no second. There is no resurrection for you. It that would, yeah, that would be what I would think because these are not the others that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life at this point. Yeah, interesting. Verse sixteen, and he causeth all. I'm running out of time here. <laughs> he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. And you've heard this all your life. To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. The, the image of the beast is going to cause everybody within this, within this economy to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save that he have had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You gotta be identified with the beast one way or the other. Here's wisdom, John says, and I know all of you. I've heard many, many things 
down through the, the years checking out scripture of concerning this mark of the beast. And it is, I will admit, it is an interesting subject. But here's wisdom. It says in verse 18, and we'll close out with this. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. Six, six, six. Six sixty six. And lots of people won't even get a car tag. I don't even think they'll print a car tag with the, the number sequence 666. You've seen some? I haven't. No, but I talked to somebody and they, they made them change it. <laughs> no, 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 when no, I no. check out at a register, if it's 666, I add something else. <laughs> no, not doing it. So you see the, you see the, uh, oh, you see the, um, the thoughts that go along behind verse 18 here in chapter 13. Yeah, and, and Tony's posted this from the Companion Bible, and I meant to read this. So I'll just read what Tony's got. 600, etc. Um, the Greek for this number is three letters, which by Gematria, uh, you can read about that in Appendix 10, is 660 and 6, which is 666. It's a number of a name. When the name of the beast, the Antichrist, is known, it will doubtless be recognized by both computation, see above, and gamatria. The three letters SSS equals 666 form the symbol of Isis and the secret symbol of the old mysteries. That ancient mysteries and modern beliefs are becoming closely allied. Witness the rapid growth and spread of spiritism, theosophy, and occultism of every kind. And the note says some ancient authorities read 616 used by the Jews of the worship of the emperor. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, not a good end in poker, Chico. I certainly agree with that. So I will leave that for you to ponder today. Um, I wanted just to bring out the parallels. And my primary purpose today was of these beasts, whether they be uh, true beasts that can be seen, touched, killed, whatever, or whether they be symbolic they are going to exist. There yet is to come a time when these things will come to pass and they will turn from prophecy to reality um, at some point in the future on this planet. So with that, I will leave you. I hope you've had a great, uh, I hope you've had a, a great morning. I hope that something that I said is a blessing to you or, or causing you to think a little deeper and uh, want to get into some of these things and figure them out. I do not claim to have full, uh, you know, that this is the only way this can be interpreted. I hope I've made that perfectly clear. But study to show yourself approved unto God. And uh, let's see if, um, take that brilliant spirit and let's see if these things be so. God bless you. Thank you again for being with us. Bow with us and we'll close. And uh, then we'll get going with um, the Arizona study today. If uh, I'm pretty sure Barney's uh, pretty ready, pretty much ready to go, but we'll let him chime on that too. So bow with us, Father. Once again, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for all the blessings of the past week, uh, Father. We thank you for preserving us and keeping us, and Father, uh, we thank you for your Spirit that's continually helping 
to strengthen us as we move forward in life. God, we thank you most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we know even as we read about these antichrists, this thing that's to come in the future, Father, we know that we have the victory, that even as we read your word and see these prophecies, we know that you and you alone have the victory and that you will at some point once again be all and in all. God, we thank you for that fact. We thank you for the surety and the rock solidness of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and of his power and of the power of his blood. Father, thank you for our hope in the heavenly places that probably even to this moment just grinds the evil side, Father, to the point where they push back. We thank you for the strength to stand. Thank you in this day for that word of God that helps us to stand. Continue to be with us. Lead God bless and keep us as a, as a group. Father, thank you for the power to endure as we endeavor to do all the things, Father, that you've laid out for us to do. For us in Christ's name today, we, we do humbly pray. Amen.